Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman and alongside Jared Kimber every day of the England and Pakistan Test Series. And where do we start today? There's so much to look back on on a wonderful day's cricket as England somehow got past Pakistan. Plenty to talk about on the show. You're listening to following on. Well, by now, you know. England have beaten Pakistan in the first test match of three by three wickets. At one stage, chasing 277, they were 117 for five. And then up stepped Joss Butler. What pressure must have been on his shoulders and also Chris Wokes to combine for a match-winning 139 partnership for the sixth wicket. Butler went eventually for 75. There was a scare here or there, but they made it look relatively comfortable. Incredible day incredible test match let's get started story of the day so jared uh well where do you start i mean it was it's been an incredible test match pakistan will be wondering just how they've managed to lose this test match a lot of people will be pointing to this game this great game and saying this is why the game is so great there were i was getting whatsapp messages about Trent Bridge in 05 and Edgbaston, which was 15 years ago this weekend. But if truth be told, I didn't feel the tension for much of that uh, chase from England because from the moment Ollie Pope was out and pretty much that was it as far as I was concerned, Butler and Wokes looked relatively comfortable right up until about 50, 50 runs to go. And I think they both tightened up. Butler was out, but even then it was just too late. Pakistan had had, had already lost the game by that point. Um, so it was a bit of a bizarre day, I think that's what I'm trying to say. It was like the air went out of the ball after Ollie Pope's wicket. <laughs> and now some of that has to go to Butler because he clearly came in, saw what was going on at that point and was like, we're, you know, we're going to have to get some runs and get some runs quickly. And, and I think at that point, 
I don't even think they were really thinking win the game. I think they were thinking at that point, uh, we just have to hit, knock them off their line a little bit. But how many times did the ball play up after Ollie Pope and Ben Stokes, if they'd lost that test by, let's say they lost by a couple of, of runs, they would have been looking back going, how do we get the only balls that did anything at all? Um, two crazy deliveries, realistically, when the pitch held up really. I, th- I think I said was it, last night, um, but, uh, you know, I thought the pitch was fairly flat and that it wasn't doing much. I thought the Pakistani bowlers would have to do. When the Pakistan tail came out and did what they did, I was like, this is a flat pitch. And, mm. and I thought that if Pakistan kept the pressure on, that would, it wouldn't matter that it was a flat pitch. I think their bowling attack was so good. They didn't keep the pressure on. Um, Butler played the best innings I've ever seen him play in test cricket. Um, you know, it's such a, a weird game because if you hate Butler, this is the reason he shouldn't be in the side this game uh, because of his wicket-keeping. And if you love Butler, this is the reason that Butler has to be in the side, whereas somehow he's actually had a par game. I think at one stage... I think he ended up what losing 84 runs when he was wicket-keeping for England and uh, making about 100-odd runs when he batted. So it's a very, very, it's a very bizarre situation from him. But that's the best innings. I, actually, before I say that, Chris Wokes shouldn't have been batting at seven, right? He should not have been batting at seven. It was a mistake by England, more so probably when, when uh, Stokes was fit enough to bowl. And he hasn't made runs in two years. And then to play that innings, I thought he batted even better than Butler up until uh, a point where he, he lost it a little bit in the middle there. Um, I thought that was, inc- you know, an incredible innings for him. So you could easily argue that Butler's keeping mistakes put them in this position and that Wokes was selected incorrectly. And yet you would still have to say that those are two, the two best test innings they've played. Butler made that 100 against India when he, um, he's only 100, I think when he um, was playing for the draw against India. That was a great innings. He played a really good innings against Pakistan. Played some really good, Nothing like this. Nothing like this. An absolute incredible effort from him. And as I said, Wilkes was even better. But let's, let's be brutally honest. It did look like they were playing against a shuttlecock at times. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, I think Pakistan lost the ability to bowl good line and good length. Butler and, and Wilkes have to get a little bit of credit there. But that ball and that pitch were doing absolutely nothing from that point, from Ollie Pope's wicket onwards for a long time there. And as you said, that, that's what I think maybe you and I felt, is just that the, the air had gone out of it. I was shocked that they didn't win it five wickets down in the end, um, that there were any wickets a, at all. But, uh, you know, what? it's still very, very fun test uh, all the way through. I mean, think about this. At one stage, Pakistan had England, what, three for minus 20. Um, after after Shah Massoud's not. Um, Pakistan allowed England back into the game twice. Three times. Three times. I'm going three times. I've got when they they collapsed in the third innings. Three times they were massively ahead of this game, Pakistan. England were never ahead of the game until uh, Wokes and Butler had put on 100. Azar Ali's captaincy is going to really be scrutinised, partly because his batting has fallen off uh, off the cliff as well. Uh, you can just feel it on social media. All of Pakistan was was slowly, then quickly, absolutely losing the plot. And in, and in fairness, uh, my my friend Wakar, he texted me this morning. <laughs> he says so much about the cricket fans' psyche. He was like, nah, "England are going to win today." I was like, "No chance." Even at tea, he was like, "Yeah, England's game." I was like, "Mate, they're going to bring back at Mohammed Abbas. That's going to tie at one end, and then Yasser Shah is going to bowl at the other end." 
one wicket and you're through to the tail. No chance. Um, well, he was absolutely right. And I was wrong, not for the first time. But uh, the pressure's really going to be on Azarali because for Pakistan to have lost this test, I know the ball went very, very soft. There was no reverse swing. I know that you've got two very inexperienced, raw and exciting bowlers, but they're they're inexperienced as well. But Pakistan should not be losing this test match. No. Find it hard to blame Azhar Ali if, if you take him out of the batting unit because obviously he plays a fairly major part in that batting at number three and not being able to hit the ball off the square. And I'm not sure how he's going to make mm. runs with the flaws in his game at the moment in, in test cricket. As a captain, he perhaps when Butler and Wokes came out, he probably tried a few too many things. It felt like we're going to try this for a couple of balls and we're going to try this for a couple of balls. Where realistically, I think had they bowled dry, um, had he maybe brought Abbas on quicker, had he kept Yassir around uh, the wicket bowling into the footmarks, uh, had they tried bowling short to Wokes, you know, a few, a few sort of staple things. Uh, I, I think they could have do it, done it. But realistically, I don't think the bowlers bowled particularly well once they must have realised there wasn't anything going on on that pitch and with that ball. Um, you know, that's a group effort. I, I find it, I saw people saying, oh, where's his leadership? And it's like, his bowlers kind of start springing around. Like Yassir Shah, for instance, went from basically landing the ball on a pin to not knowing how to bowl to Joss Butler, to not bowling well enough to Chris Wokes. Uh, Shadab Khan, he was brought, he's basically a wrong specialist as a bowler. Chris Wokes can't play wrong I'm not sure he landed one wrong in the right area to him. Uh, and it goes all the way through to the end. Again, he had he had Stuart Broad on strike. He's a wrong and specialist. He's got the rough outside off stump. Stuart Broad was only sent in to play the sweep shot. And the first ball he bowls is a leg spinner, which helps the sweep shot. Bowl a wrong and make him swing, spin, uh, sorry, make him sweep against the spin out of the rough. So, you know, to say that Azza Ali was wrong or, or he was the reason, he certainly played a part, but I... I don't think it was anywhere near the sort of choke that Australia put on. I think that a lot of things came together. For instance, Yassir Shah bowled around the wicket into the footmarks. Josh Butler tried to sweep, gets a top edge, and goes nowhere. They finally start bowling short to Chris Wokes. Chris Wokes completely muffs one, goes absolutely nowhere. Again, misses the field. Uh, they, they did, they, I think it was Shadab worked out bowling very straight, very flat, very full making them force across the line. I think they got two leading edges. Again, just short of the bowler. Considering that the pitch had gone flat, the ball wasn't doing anything, and the bowlers weren't bowling as well as they could, they still actually put on a few half chances. I think there was, a, there was an edge from Yassir Shah t- towards the slip. I, I think, if anything, people are going to say, Azhar Ali should have tried more. I actually think he should have tried less. He should have just taken, taken it out. The way they started bowling later on, when they really started bowling for dot balls, that's when they got the pressure back on England. Um, but I find, I'm going to find it very hard to blame Azza Ali when the batsman threw away that third innings. I'm going to find it very hard to blame Azza Ali when uh, Yassir and Shaheen, who were bowling brilliantly, suddenly lost the plot when Joss Butler hit two boundaries. Um, I'm going to find it hard to, to, you know, to, to really blame Azza Ali for this loss. I think uh, Pakistan had three opportunities to win it. Your captain doesn't lose three opportunities for you. So where do both sides go from here? Because, you know, 117 for five, you know, Butler was one single figure score away from potentially getting the drop. They were going to have to look at Wokes coming in at seven if he was to get a single figure score. 
there's question marks. I mean, I, I doubt Anderson's going to play anyway um, in the second test match with the back-to-back nature of things. It'd be more interesting going into that third test if this series is still alive, whether Anderson's brought back. Um, Dominic Bess, of course, you know, out bowled yesterday. Now, of course, victory can disguise multitude of sins. And I was watching the England players celebrate. I don't blame them for celebrating. Terrific win. I mean, Joe Root was probably going through what he was going to say to the press, you know, at about uh, half past uh, two this afternoon. But the can potentially being kicked down the street. Think about it this way. Butler top edges that sweep and it goes to backward square, right? Um, And he's caught. At that point, as Ali is a good captain, Josh Butler has failed again. Uh, England has lost, realistically, all those lessons that you have. As Ali can certainly get better as a captain. Uh, Pakistan's batting still isn't any good. They they would have won the game without without that. Um, Wokes still shouldn't have batted at seven, whether he made runs. All those things sort of still exist. And it's, it's one of those things that you suddenly look at the result. You have to look at the, the bigger picture here. These are two flawed teams, one of which who managed to outflaw the other one, essentially. And, and we're saying that a lot at the moment. And outside of India, I'm not sure there are many complete teams out there. You know, there's some really exciting teams. I'm, I think I said about a year and a half ago on Twitter that England is the most interesting team in world cricket. And, oh, my God, do they consistently... Um, be that way uh, you know they are incredible uh, at their their ability to consistently baffle you in every single direction and Pakistan have been like that since you know 1959 um, <laughs> you know realistically so you, you, you I think that if England look at that and go there's no problems here we're all going well then they've made a mistake and the same would have been if Pakistan would have got away with that win if they would have gone oh we've won this game there's no problems here. There is clearly flaws within both of these teams. And England got away with a couple of mistakes. And Pakistan almost got away with a, bu- a bunch of mistakes. And that could be why this is a really good series. Uh, because these teams sort of overlap beautifully when it comes to what they do well and what they do hideously. Do we get ourselves, ourselves tied up in knots somewhat? Kind of assuming that you know every single sports team, in this case England and Pakistan in our minds are working towards becoming number one in the world, um, going away to India and Australia to win series for the first time in, in a few years when the people who are involved in the actual running of the team and playing for the team, they're just literally trying to cling on here. You know, it is a misfiring side. It's a disjointed side. I, I could speak for both teams here. They're just trying to win a game of cricket at the end of the day. That really is it. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Yeah, I think it is quite interesting, especially there has been so much this summer already thrown forward to the ashes. And I'm like, they lost, let's just start with England there. They lost the first test to West Indies, came back well, but West Indies played a role in, in England coming back well also. They then should have lost this test in a couple of ways and have come back beautifully. Uh, you know, it's an incredible chase. It doesn't matter if, er- if everything goes your way, you're still not supposed to win this game. You know, what England did was still better, way better than what you would expect another team to do in that situation. But this whole idea of that, oh, you know, they've got to get the team ready for the Ashes and everything. They've got to get the team ready for every single game they play in. You know, I mean, we still don't know about Bess. Who knows what's going on with Crawley? Rory Burns, again, in this test match, looks like you're just like, oh, he's a good player. And then you look at him and go, he's out again. Sibley, I mean, the you know, this, this, you know and let's not go to Pakistan have a captain who cannot play when the ball is outside a stump. And when they cannot play when the ball is at the stumps, they've got a leg spinner that they brought into this side as their fifth bowler, who the captain decided basically not to bowl. And then when he had a chance to bowl, you could see why the captain didn't bowl him. (laughs) A 12-year-old opening bowler at one end, a 20-year-old phenom at the other end. They dropped Muhammad Abbas recently, remember? Everyone's going nuts about Muhammad Abbas. yeah, it's it's chaotic. When you work in a cricket team, you realise how much of this is absolute chaos and how no one can be on top of it. And as 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 the bloke in the pub or the bloke on the podcast, you go, you know, it's it's weird why they didn't make this. And then you realise in the in the change room, is this literally like the coaches got a fire extinguisher on one problem, you know, <laughs> and there's something. I mean, let's not forget the sort of the psychological the psychological madness of Stuart Broad being one of a potential all-rounder at one stage in his career, being an all-rounder as a young player, a potential all-rounder as a test player, to becoming one of the worst tail-enders in world cricket, to the point where now he's found so much talent that they're just like, throw him back up the order, and he's going to slap a couple of balls and make it easier for... It just... That's what... That's what I, don't, I think people don't understand, is just how crazy it is on a day-to-day basis being involved with this. And this test match... And the series against the West Indies. And I think probably the next two test matches just heighten all that because of the, the, the general madness that is involved with, with everything. Uh, uh, it, it, and I'm not even talking COVID. 
I'm taking COVID away, but just looking at these teams and, you know, Ben Stokes' injury and then Ben Stokes' non-injury and uh, Zach Crawley are leaving the side and Shadab Khan batting at seven, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's weird uh, running a cricket team. Do you, do you think that the way we look at cricket is warped because we grew up with that great West Indies side, which was nigh and perfect. That was then replaced by the great Australian side, which was equally perfect. So from about 1977 through to 2000 and... F- well, yeah, but they lost in 2005. Then so they beat a World eleven and smashed it. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. But, they lost do you know what I mean? For, so for... The best part of 25 years, is that right? 40 years. Yeah, nearly 30 years, there's been a dominant, perfect cricket team. And that tells us, as cricket fans, that it's possible to have that. But you, as a cricket historian, in the history of cricket, bearing in mind for the first 50 years there was only three teams, (laughs) so that, that doesn't really count. But that was just an anomaly, wasn't it? Hasn't the majority of cricket been like we have now for the last 10 years or so where, yeah, there's some very strong teams on home soil specifically, but really, in the main, cricket teams are flawed, even if they are good. So first time India went to number one in the world, I think it was around 2008, 2009. Uh, So Australia had finally lost the ranking and I don't I think maybe South Africa had taken it briefly, but uh, uh, India went to number one in the world. And I wrote a piece just going, oh, you can't really call them number one in the world. They've they've won a couple of series, but Australia, it's only because Australia hasn't been very good and and, uh, South Africa hasn't really, you know, taken that crown yet. And I look back on it as one of the worst pieces I've ever written because I didn't really really, I didn't factor in the fact that, A, what a huge moment it was that India had become number one in the world. We look back on it now and it seems like an inevitability. It did not feel like an inevitability for Indian fans before that 2009 or 2008, whenever it was. And, and the other one is, I, I did a piece where when, when South Africa finally dissolved their great team and, you know, they went on that incredible run where they didn't win away from home. Sorry, didn't lose away from home, but they occasionally lost at home, so it was a bit complicated. And and in the middle of that, England had this incredible flare-up where they became number one in the world. And and you start to look at it, and when you look at the greatest sides of all time, that South African side that wasn't even always number one has to be in the top five sides of Test Match Cricket history. And and you are going modern history a little bit. You you almost have to discount some of the early Australia-England stuff just because uh, both of those teams dominated uh, early periods, but they didn't have many teams to play against, and they're only playing against each other. So if Australia was weak, England could be average and still dominate and the other way around. But when you, there, was, there was a really good period. I'm trying to remember the – I think it's from – let's say mid-50s through to late-60s, where England and Australia both had incredible cricket teams, right? And they played against each other. But the cricket was so dull, people didn't even really uh, understand it. But that period where West Indies were sort of flaring up as well was the actual was very similar to what you have now, where you basically had a multitude of good cricket teams and a multitude of interesting but flawed cricket teams sort of coming through. And, yeah, I don't think we know how to do it. As you, as, as you said, we're talking about 30 years of solid domination by two cricket teams. And since that, India have been number one a couple of times. Pakistan have been number one. So, uh, Sri Lanka had this incredible record. Um, you know, England had, uh, you know, this great little thing. Australia have been, Australia were number one 
according to the rankings not that long ago. And people go, oh, Australia shouldn't be number one. But when you actually look at the sort of, I'm trying to look, look for a word that doesn't have, um, doesn't have a swear in it. But if you look at the sort of omni-shambles of, of world cricket at the moment, everyone sort of should have a go at number one. And it's so interesting. West Indies, not that long ago, looked like they would never win another test match again. And suddenly, they've got this really interesting team. It wasn't that long ago when you went, well, South Africa, always going to be a strong team. And now you're like, good luck, South Africa, being strong in this current climate. It's so endlessly interesting test cricket at the moment. So at what point do we stop trying to make conclusions about all of this? Never. Players? Never. <laughs> because... Fast forward to one test match and Josh Butler's going to be out for, a, you know, for eight again and he's going to drop a catch. And But because of what's happened today, we're, the way cricket works, we're not actually allowed. That's not the narrative now. Yeah. That means that for the next two test matches, whatever Josh Butler does, he could be out for four ducks and drop five catches. Because of what's happened today, that's, that's not to be talked about. Yeah. That's... That's the weird thing with cricket. That's the kind of in this yeah. in this in this country anyway. I mean, no. hopefully not this this show, but <laughs> that, but the way cricket works, there's one story every day. Yeah, you know, I think if that... in, in terms of the way the media works, one story per. And tomorrow the story will be, you know, Azhar Ali's captaincy. If you're from a Pakistani slant, and Joss Butler sticking two fingers up at the critics. Yeah, th- when it's when it there's as you say, if that top edge sweep had been caught, this is why. Okay, when I was a kid, and I still kind of believe this, when a batsman, I remember hearing Jack Bannister. Well, every time and I love Jack, but it used to really great with me that every time a batsman scored a century, he would say, "And that's one of the finest centuries you'll ever see." Blah blah blah, and I'd be thinking, "Well, he was dropped." And when I was a kid, I used to discount a great innings. I mean, a great innings did not occur if a batsman was dropped. You know, all right, if you score 300 and you've been dropped, fair enough. But do you know what I mean? It's, that's the, that's the, the maddening but beautiful thing about this, this game. The narrative hinges on luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a few sports in the history of mankind that have luck at the heart. The way, and T20 is probably even worse than test cricket, weirdly, because of the short nature and, and the way it goes. But cricket is a general sport. I mean, we know how much the toss can take. I mean, the pitch flattened out and the ball got soft and the game changed yeah. today. And, yeah. and that won't be the narrative. That just won't be the narrative. I was thinking the whole time that – I was thinking two things, and both of them sort of around Butler a little bit. But I was thinking as a, if England lose – um, Joss Butler and Joss Butler doesn't make 50, then he's the reason they've lost. And if Pakistan lose, then Azza Ali is the reason they lost. And I was thinking, I'm not sure either of those narratives are true. Yeah. And also, I'm not sure that the narratives would have been true. If Pakistan had won, Azza Ali wouldn't have been any better a captain than he is right now. And the same with Joss Butler. I, honestly, nothing about this test match has made me think that the original selection of Joss Butler and all the stuff-ups that it is called... I mean, Johnny Bairstow's career is gone. They, they made a mockery of their all-rounders, which was a huge problem. The Ben Folks thing, all of those things still exist today. Josh Butler made mistakes with the gloves and then did well with the bat. That's basically what we expected him to do anyway. And he's, as I said before, he's coming out of it par. But that is not the way that people look at these things. And it, you're right. We, we veer violently between all these different things. It, 
I know this has absolutely nothing to do with Azza Ali or Joss Butler, but look at the sort of treatment of guys like Sean Marsh and Keaton Jennings, right? All we ever do is look at their failures and we don't actually look at the, the very basic things of that they are very flawed batsmen who, if they were only picked when the, when the conditions were in their favour, which we do with bowlers, of course, but we don't do with batsmen as much, they're actually incredible single-source players. They could come in for Asian tours and just be really, really good and then you just sort of discard them and rest them and, and, and do whatever you have to do for the rest of the time. But we never think about players. It's, it's, it's literally, how good are they going right now? Most of the stuff that was, that was said about Josh Butler in the last couple of tests was absolute nonsense. The bigger problem with Butler has never been his form fluctuations because we know consistently he's never going to make runs in test cricket because he has consistently never made runs in test cricket. We already know that. So we know that he's going to have a game like this and then a couple of low games. That is what he's going to do. The bigger problem is, is did England take too big a gamble with what is a fairly good core of players to bring Butler in in the first place? And almost no one talks about that. Almost no, no, no one gets... And then suddenly he misses a stumping and drops a catch and he's a bad wicketkeeper. Two tests ago, everyone was going, oh, at least he's no dowridge. It's ridiculous the way we talk about cricket. <laughs> but isn't that wonderful, John? Isn't that a wonderful thing that we veer so violently in every direction? A bit like this test match. Okay, let's wrap up. Second test, it only gets underway on Thursday. How do both teams come back from this? What do they do? From an English perspective first, I imagine that Anderson will miss out and I imagine that Archer might miss out as well. I think they might bring in... Well, Ollie Robinson's been added to the squad. That See, that was the thing on the way to work today uh, on the uh, the the, cres- the Cricket Press WhatsApp group. Given word, Ollie Robinson drafted into the secure bubble. He won't play for his county. And you think, right. Anderson out. You know, Anderson out. I mean, he's he's not going to play anyway. But Anderson out. Um, you know, you can't drop Wokes, especially after he's just hit 84. He's probably man of the match. Um, but Anderson will miss out. It's just a question of what, whether Archer does as well. If Archer does miss out, bring in Wood. To be honest, though, Jared, I don't think it's going to make a great deal of difference because Pakistan can't bat. I was thinking that. I was thinking, at, at the further you went, then I was just like, okay. So the flip, I was thinking the flip side of what you say is Pakistan. So what are they going to do? Who are they going to bring in? So essentially, the only way they can strengthen their batting order is to drop Shadab Khan and uh, begin bring in, well, another batsman, I suppose, and move Rizwan down. Or, um, yeah, that, that, that's probably my... my that's it. My, my or they drop Azza Ali and they use one of their spare openers to bat first drop, right? Those are the only things they could do. Even so, I'm not sure that's going to improve their overall batting all that much. And Zach... No, and also, shut up, Khan, actually. It was his innings in the first place. So actually, he scored 45. He took, he took a few wickets... Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is going back to the point, isn't it? I mean, this is the thing. It doesn't really matter, Jared. It doesn't matter what England do, and it doesn't matter what Pakistan do. I think it, we need to we need to stop thinking that there is an answer to this jigsaw. Perfect example today. I was thinking about the language we use in cricket. I can't remember what it was. I think it was Michael Holding um, saying when Wokes came in. You've got to remember that England is one batsman short for this match. And he's right. If this test was played, if that innings was played 100 times, the batting lineup would probably win about 35%, maybe 30%, maybe 25% against that bowling attack, right? 
But the thing about cricket is that that's not how it's played. We don't play that many tests. And so Shadab Khan and Chris Wokes were both pushed well above their batting places in this test based on form, experience, and overall batting talent. Right. And yet, both of them actually played probably two of their best batting performances that they've ever had. And it's just like, it doesn't matter. Let's just pick a random generator. Next test. <laughs> Pakistan go in with nine left arm seamers and two leg spinners. <laughs> and uh, Jofra bats at three. It doesn't matter. Oh, it's brilliant. You know, uh, in football, you have substitutions. And because of COVID, you can have five of them, I think, at the moment. And essentially what that's meant is a change in the tactics. So Fulham were playing QPR and they were 2-0 up or 2-1 up with like 10 minutes to go. And for the last 10 minutes of the match, Fulham had seven defenders and two defensive midfielders and an ordinary midfielder on the field. And you just have to wonder if substitutes were allowed in cricket. This is the thing. You just get some absolutely ridiculous permutations. Um, mate, it's been a it's been a, a great test match in a really a really balmy way. It's been a great summer in a really balmy way. You don't need fans, you know. It doesn't <laughs> it does not affect the cricket in any in any shape or form? Look, we'll uh, we'll talk to you in the week. You're hosting Cricket Collective on Tuesday on Talksport Two, six till seven with Harmy. Mm-hmm. I'd love to. Uh, well, it's going to be great to hear what he has to say about all of this, and then we'll be back as well, following on podcast after every day's play following uh, play in the second test match uh, it's myself and Jared um, you can listen on ACOS Spotify or Apple Podcasts thanks for listening throughout this test match hopefully you'll join us for test match number two The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 